You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that your spirit would open up the eyes of our hearts to hear what you would have for us. In this moment, we just declare that we submit to your ways and to your pouring out, Holy Spirit. We love you. We thank you for your amazing grace. We pray this together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, I'm talking about the book of Jonah, and in particular, you may have seen the title and thought, was that a typo? We just sang about the amazing grace of God, and man, can Jonathan sing that song, right? And Pastor Logan's talking about when grace stinks. What's up with that? Grace doesn't stink. When does grace stink? Today, as we reflect on this, it seems to me, as I've been studying and reading through Jonah, that Jonah is a book about a prophet who found himself in a place when grace stunk. Kind of like, you ever had some really, really good food that you were really looking forward to eating and you were saving it? You're looking forward to that time, or and then you came to open it up, and it was, you opened it up, and it was rotten, and it was stinky, and all of a sudden, something that was meant to be amazing, life-changing, changing the, the trajectory of your day, all of a sudden becomes something that has turned into something that festers and is stinky. Seems to me... As we read about Jonah, it's a story about finding yourself in a place when, if we're really honest, grace stinks. We see this in the book of Jonah. And as we look at this, it's important to understand that Jonah was a pretty interesting character. This is considered a, a, one of the prophets, but this is the only prophet that instead of it being the prophet's word, it's a narrative about a prophet. It's a narrative about a prophet named Jonah who is called to go and give a word to Nineveh. If you have been reading through our full story plan, there's been one verse before in 2 Kings where we knew a little bit about Jonah. In 2 Kings, we learn that Jonah was a prophet during the time of a king named Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was an evil king. It tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he took advantage of the poor, and he lived in, in the luxury and the prosperity of being a king. And it says that Jonah came, and he actually, unlike the, his his other prophets of Amos and Micah and Obadiah and these other ones who, who declared judgment on oppression and on injustice, Jonah, it says, blessed Jeroboam. It says that he approved of this. And so as you're a reader reading through the book of Jonah, it's so profound that we read that, that Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh to give a word to Nineveh. We also know that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. 
If you've been following along in the book of the prophets and as we're working our way through the full story of the scriptures, we know that Assyria was the empire that wiped out the northern kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel. And these were horrible, evil people. They had a reputation of skinning their enemies alive, of torturing their enemies in front of their families. And we know that they took out, completely wiped out Israel, the ten tribes, and all that was left was Judah, the tribe of Judah. So it's so interesting here in Jonah, as we read these first verses, we learn about Jonah, and we see three points that I believe in this story of when grace stinks. And the first thing that we learn about Jonah is that when grace stinks, nationalism can be your God, little g. Nationalism can be your God, or we could say your idol. Look at what it says here in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, wake up, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God tells Jonah, 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 who we know, it was a patriot. He loved his country. Tim Keller says this. He says, the original readers would have, been, would have remembered Jonah as an intensely patriotic, a highly partisan nationalist. And they would have been amazed that God would send a man like that to the people he most hated. It tells us here, he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Something about God's command to Jonah was so uncomfortable, so stinky to him that he would rather go in the opposite direction and it tells us not just away from, from, from the mission but away from the very presence of the Lord. If you look at a map of where Tarshish was located in those times, this was in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, and many would say this would be considered like going to the ends of the earth in those days. As far as you could in the opposite direction. And as we read this story, maybe this transports you back to those Sunday school days, or maybe if you were like me, those veggie tale days. And we think, man, here's the lesson. Jonah ran because he was afraid. As we know, Nineveh, they were scary people. They were a violent people. They were his enemy. And I think, yes, there is a fear there, right? He's going to walk into Nineveh and say, the day of the Lord is here. Syria, and then he's gonna, and then they're all gonna, they're gonna skin him. They're gonna kill him. 
But what's interesting is you read the book of Jonah, the author of Jonah, who we don't know who it is, tells us later on as, he, as we learn the story of Jonah, and actually Jonah's very words tell us that he didn't run because he was afraid. He ran because he hated Nineveh and he knew that God was gracious. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, at, uh, spoiler alert, Jonah eventually gets swallowed up by like a great fish. We're going to get to that. And God brings him back to Nineveh and he declares the word of the Lord and the people repent. And it says in verse 2 that Jonah gets so mad. It says, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Transporting back to the verses we're just in. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, he says this, I knew that you, God, are a gracious grace and merciful God. That you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says, I know who you are, God. And that grace that you offer, that grace that is for, all, for, for them, that's a stinky grace that I don't want to give to them. And so we see in him that his nationality, that his nation had become more important than his God. Now hear this. I'm not saying that being a patriot, loving your country is an evil thing. Listen, I am... I love being an American. I think back to 2008 and watching the Olympics. Do you remember the Olympics when Michael Phelps was going for a record? I think it was eight gold medals. And there was a relay. Do you remember this relay? And the French had been talking all this smack. They'd been saying, we're going to win. They actually had a world record swimmer. And they were favored to win. And I remember watching that and I'm just thinking, oh man, Lord, we just got to beat those French. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and Brianna's here, and my dog Optimus, Optimus Prime, he was a Great Dane, was sitting next to me, and we're watching the relay, and it's close, and it gets to the last leg, and it's just like this incredible burst of speed from the last relay, and I'm jumping, and I'm screaming, and my dog is freaking out and barking, and, and I'm running around, and I stick on my, 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 my American flag cape, and I'm running around chanting, USA, USA, you, you lose French, your French fries are all that's good, right? Like, like that's it, like USA, and, and, this is, and I love that joy. I love, I'm proud to be an American, but here, there's a lesson and a caution here. That, that's not a bad thing, but when that becomes an ultimate thing, when the mission and the message of the gospel becomes secondary to who you are, it becomes an evil thing. And we see in Jonah that his love for his country his love for being a Hebrew has trumped his love for God's message. We know back in Abraham that when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, I will bless you. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And Abraham, your people, out of you, all of the nations will be a blessing. We know that God's promise, that God's grace is not stinky and it's been meant for all people. 
But Jonah starts to think, well, I want to be selective in grace. I would like grace to be only for me and my people and the people that I'd like to share it with. And God's not cool with that. That's not how his grace works. We see this here. And we see in Jonah that there's this deep-seated problem in him. If you go down and look at verse 9, the, eventually they come and they wake him up and they ask him, who are you? They ask, ask him, in the order of questions, it's interesting, they say, what is your occupation? What, is, what do you do? And then they say, what, what is your country and what people are you? And he responds and flips the question by first saying, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. That is the second response to him. Do you see the flip of the order of his response? The one who made the sea and the dry land. Which is kind of funny because we're just realizing they're in the middle of a storm. Look at what happens next. It says, verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Jonah's running in the opposite direction. And it says there was a mighty tempest, a storm on the sea, because he's the God of the sea. But the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, not the team. These are actual mariners. And each cried out to his God. They have no idea what's going on, but they recognize that this is an act of some sort of God. So they call out. And it says, and they hurled their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, look at this, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Interestingly enough, the same word, arise, is the word that God used to Moses to go to Nineveh. Now he's using a pagan captain to tell Jonah to arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You see, Jonah had been going in the opposite direction because when grace stinks and his nationalism had become his God, he had also recognized that indifference had become his way. Indifference can be your way. When grace stinks, we see this process of Jonah going down. If you look at the text, actually, it says that he went down to Joppa. Then he went down to the ship. Then he went down to sleep in the ship. This verb for going down is telling us that he's taking step after step of disobedience. And this disobedience and this sin is now having an effect on people around him. And it's turned on this indifference. Now, now I don't know about you, that, that resonates a lot with me. As I ask myself, could I be guilty of having this attitude of my heart where grace stinks? Could I be guilty of having this indifference? If I'm honest, there's times when I have become indifferent to what's happening in our world. 
I become indifferent to what's happening in my community. I become indifferent to the pain, the anxiousness. Even though I have this amazing grace, I get so overwhelmed or angry or bitter about things that I just turn it all off. And I'd rather just go down and sleep. And we see this in Jonah. So interesting. He's so bitter. He's so frustrated by the grace of God that finally the captains, they call upon him and they draw lots. And of course, God is provident, so his lot gets cast and they say, Jonah, you're the source of this. What's going on? And at that moment, Jonah could call out to God. But what does he do? He says, throw me into the water. He recognizes that his disobedience is affecting others, but instead of simply calling out to the God for his grace, he just says, throw me into the water. In other words, I would rather die than really share this with you. He's become so indifferent. And this is the message of Jonah so interesting to me because I grew up thinking Jonah is a three-chapter book. I grew up thinking that Jonah is, he goes down, right, and we know that a great fish or uh, sometimes we hear a whale or, I don't know, maybe a megalodon or some giant fish swallowed him up, a sea monster, and he says that he, he has this repentant heart and there's this beautiful poem that he prays in the belly of this fish in this story. And it says that God commands the fish to spit him out and he comes on the sand and he, and he walks into Nineveh and he journeys to Nineveh and he has this message for Nineveh. And I just imagine him covered in the, like the guts of this fish and he's literally stinking of the grace of God. And he walks into Nineveh And he has a message, it's a five-word sermon. And in his sermon to Nineveh, he doesn't even talk about what just happened. He doesn't even say, Nineveh, I can testify. I just got, listen to this, this is crazy, I just got spit out of a fish. I once was lost and now I'm found. And judgment is coming upon you Repent and turn. No, he has a five-word sermon for Nineveh. Because something about grace stinks for him when he thinks about others. And not only has he developed this nationalist heart, this indifference to the way, he also has recognized that anger has become his attitude. He's developed an attitude of anger. Look at these five words in the sermon that he gives. It says this, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This fine God, I'll go and I'll give this message that you give to me. And he is faithful. He does give the message. But, and when he says overthrown, he uses this Hebrew word, hapak. This is the same word used about Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys remember this story? Fire and brimstone, there's nothing left. He says, Nineveh, this is what you deserve. This is what is going to happen to you. Mic drop, I'm out. Five words. But what's so fascinating in this story 
is the people of Nineveh, they don't kill him. They don't say, do you know who we are? It says that they repent and they turn. They put on ashes. Actually, it even says that their cows repent and turn. And this is not what Jonah wants. It says in verse 10 of chapter 3, what we read, which we read together, it says, when God saw what they did, Nineveh, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Now you would think in this moment, we're like, awesome. And this is the end of the chapter. And way too often, we stop Jonah right here. We say, God's called you to go and share the good news. Go and share it. Be faithful. God's grace is enough. He will be, no matter, go wherever you go. But the book of Jonah doesn't stop there. Because you see, the book of Jonah is not just about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about you. The book of Jonah is about me. And it's uncomfortable and kind of hard. It says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The Hebrew says, I believe, something like this. It eviled, evil, no, Jonah exceedingly. It was a great evil. And it says, and he was angry. And as we read that, it's like, really? Why is this chapter in here? It's this is so obnoxious. Like, Jonah, you, you just got spit out from the belly of this great fish. You experienced the grace of God, and now, like, you've, you've seen God's grace for these people, and you are so embittered and so angry about God's grace. It's so stinky to you that you're angry. And as we read that, it's meant to slap you in the face, and then all of a sudden, you realize, but, but could that be me? And you get on your phone, and you go on Facebook, and you look at the people that you've blocked, or snoozed, or you turn on the news, or you start thinking about, who's my Nineveh? Who are the terrorists that I don't, want to have, I, want, I don't want to give grace to? Who are the people who have abused or hurt me or said things about me that, if I'm really honest, I, I really don't want them to come and be a part of my faith community? And you start to realize how obnoxious my own heart can be and how I may have some of this attitude that I need to turn from, some of this indifference, some of this anger, and we get to this question that God asked Jonah when he says this. In verse four, it says, do you be well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, how's this working for you? Is it fun? Do you enjoy being a someone who's indifferent, someone who's angry, somebody who your, 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 na- your nationalism is more important than your God, your race, your, who you are is more important than what God's grace has done for you? How's it working for you? 
And I would ask, I think, what we should ask one another here is the same question. How is grace working for you? And if we pause and stop here, that's a pretty crummy place to stop. What I love about our Savior, what I love about our God is Jonah knew that our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he also has that same heart for Jonah. You see that he doesn't just be like, all right, Jonah, I'm giving up on you. Like, you are, oh my gosh. Actually, the rest of this passage is, is God dealing with Jonah and revealing to Jonah the issue with a really funny interaction that I encourage you to read through, and it leaves you wondering what happens to Jonah? You don't know. You don't know if he ever realizes that the grace of God is so beautiful and powerful. And it leads you asking, and it's meant to leave you asking, have I eaten of this grace? Or has the grace just been something that like I've been saving and it's become something that stinks because I have not eaten of it? But hear this. We read this story, and we mess up if we think, I need to be better than Jonah. Brothers and sisters, my friends, in this story, you are not Jonah. You are Nineveh. You and me are sinners in need of grace. And in this story, we have a better Jonah who has a heart for you and I that has no anger or bitterness. On the contrary, it is a heart that is gentle and lowly. It is the very heart of God. You can turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. And look at how familiar this will seem to you as we read about the better Jonah, about Jesus of Nazareth. Look at what it says. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that on the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep, Jesus. Now when Jesus was asleep, this wasn't an indifferent sleep, this was a different kind of sleep. This was a sleep that trusted in his Father, that trusted and loved and was perfectly connected to the Father, the ruler of the waves. And they, the disciples, went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith. Then he rose, Jesus, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? You want to think about the heart of Jesus for us. Keep reading in Matthew and turn with me a few pages to Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we need a sign. We need a sign. Look at what happens here. Look at what Jesus does with this. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 40, it says, just as Jonah, oh, what? Jesus talked about Jonah. 
Just as Jonah was three days and three nights, interesting, three days and three nights. I wonder why God kept Jonah in the well or in the big fish for three days and three nights. Why did he choose that? So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's saying, I will die. I will go to the belly of the earth of all of your sin. I will come out, and the great men, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, hear this, look at what he says here, something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, I am here. And we ask this question, how is grace working for you? See, brothers and sisters, beloved, we are Nineveh, and Jesus is the better Jonah. Going to the heart of the earth to give us his gracious and compassionate heart. There's a great exchange that happens at the cross. And so as we reflect on this, seems to me that there's three things that we believe as Christians happens in our hearts by faith in Christ. First, in Christ, I have a heart that enjoys its Savior. Don't skip over this. There is a pu- pure, perfect joy to knowing Jesus. You know what's so interesting? Remember how Jonah gave that sermon that five-word sermon, and he used that word, hapak, that talked about how Nineveh would be overthrown. Did you know that that actually happened to Nineveh? But it happened in a way that Jonah didn't know. Because that word, hapak, is also used in other scripture to talk about a different kind of turning over of hearts that God does in people. And listen to this as you think about what it means to have a heart that is exchanged by the amazing grace of God. Psalm 30, verse 11 says this. I would encourage you to read this whole psalm, but it says, You, God, have turned hapak for me, my mourning, into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. We are an, we are an angry people. People of grace are a people of joy, are a people of laughter, are a people, that's why we sing these praise songs, and they're meant to be praise songs, full of life and joy because of what Christ on the cross has done for you and I. And so we recognize the great Presbyterian question What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what grace does. But also, hear this. There's important things to think about. In Christ, I have a heart that forgives its debtors. We prayed this in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray like this, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You remember Jesus told a parable about the unmerciful servant. Do you remember this parable? In essence, there's this king, and it says that he's bringing all of his debtors in to pay their debts, and there's this one servant who has a debt that he couldn't pay in his lifetime or 10 lifetimes. 
And it says that the king forgives him of his debt in this parable. An incredible act of grace, something he does not deserve. Yet it says that this servant then goes to somebody who owes him something. And what does the servant do? It says that he beats him and has him thrown in prison. And then Jesus has these words for you and I as we think about those that we have not forgiven, those that have trespassed against us. It says, so also, at the end of this parable, he says, this is the word of God, He is speaking to you and me, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother, and hear this, from your heart. Now hear this, you cannot do this apart from Christ but in Christ. We are called to be a people of forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean that I am a people, we are a people that enable. That doesn't mean that we are a people who forget. But we are a people that do not hold on to the bitterness of unforgiveness. We forgive. We give grace away. Finally, in Christ, I have a heart that loves its enemy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Doesn't make sense. But I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. As Edgar prayed, he is in control. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must, hear this, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. This is why when we talk about having a heart that forgives my debtors, that loves my enemies, we put these very important words in front that say, in Christ. Because apart from Christ, I don't care how great you are, you cannot accomplish the ways of the kingdom. We must do this in Christ. We must continue to preach this gospel to us. And as Christ forms in us, does his work in us, we find ourselves all of a sudden sharing this grace. This is why there's these beautiful, powerful stories of Christians who have forgiven Men that have killed their children. Christians who have forgiven people that have bombed their houses. And it, there's a part of us that says that's horrible, but then there's a beautiful part of us that says we are a people of grace. And grace, hear this, is a little, a lot scandalous. And we receive it pour it out. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, on this Lord's Day, as we reflect on this heavy word from Jonah. Listen, Jonah is not a children's lesson. It's about you and me. And it's challenging you and me to think about our hearts.
but it's a good story of a gracious God who poured out his grace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. God, in the beginning of this service, we sang that this is amazing grace. We sang, God, of your amazing grace. God, we know we are a people of grace, and we repent of our own flesh. We recognize, God, that you have called us to be a people that pour out your grace on our enemies. And Lord, right now in this moment, I'm sure many of us could think of someone that we have not forgiven to think of someone or something or some ideology or something that we, if we're honest, would not want your grace upon them. And God, we confess and turn from that and we pray that we would be instruments of your grace to our enemies. And we thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the better Jonah, that you had grace for us, that we, through our turning to you, can be saved. We pray, God, as we prepare our hearts to to not just hold loosely your grace, but actually, even right now in the sacrament of communion, to eat of your grace. Lord, we pray that as we eat of your grace, that that work would continue to form your person in us that we would come as we are. We love you. We give you all the glory. We thank you for grace. In your name we pray. Amen.